Have you heard of Anchor? It's free and it's so easy. If I can figure it out, pretty much anyone can. Create your own podcast from your phone or any device and they will distribute it across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms on your behalf without you having to do a thing. You can also make money without any minimum listenership or any required audience. Anchor is super easy to use, and all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Start your own podcast today. You're listening to Your Highness Podcast with Diana Crash, founder of Good Vibes Marketing. Good Vibes Marketing provides organic content and marketing solutions to the cannabis space. Welcome to Your Highness Podcast. Today, I am joined by the fabulous Whitney Beatty. Did I pronounce your last name? That's right. Okay, that's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, Whitney is the founder of Apothecary, which is an amazing collection of gorgeous cases that uh, keep your cannabis in humidity controlled containers and just basically respecting the plant is uh, is the, the focus of your product line, basically respecting the plant and safe use. There are a lot of levels going on with the apothecary brand, right? But uh, <laughs> we could go on all day, <laughs> but we, um, and, and I'm a huge fan of Whitney. She does some amazing work in the community. Um, she's a board Thank member you. for Supernova Women. And she uh, is also a pioneer in not only branding and in the luxury cannabis end of things, um, but she has an amazing Instagram about her um, life as a mother. Uh, Where can people find you on Instagram? On Instagram, I'm the high mommy life. So T-H-E-H-I-G-H, mommy life, the high mommy life. Um, So... I am just super thrilled and honored to be joined with her today. Um, joined with her by her, <laughs> whatever the proper words are. <laughs> Thanks They're for not having working. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm a big fan. So, <laughs> thank you. We like to start off the episode. Um, I like to start off every episode with my favorite cannabis-related thing, but we're going to make it um, a new seg- recurring segment uh, called fave pot not pot uh where we talk about our favorite cannabis related thing um product movement it doesn't have to be specific um so my favorite cannabis thing right now is um these verano microdose tablets they're one-to-one cbd thc ratio um each tablet is two and a half milligrams and they dissolve very quickly um so yeah and they're tasty i'm i've got to try those i haven't tried those yet yeah they're really nice um and it's really i like them because you can build you know my tolerance is very high so (laughs) it takes me a minute (laughs) i'm like i I love those because i'm on the opposite side of that uh, spectrum when it comes to edibles Mm -hmm. i feel like my tolerance is very low yeah 
uh, which is why I have, you know, fear when someone's like, oh, it's edible. I don't remember what it's, you know, it's be fine. Just take it. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not going to be able to fill my life. I'm like, okay. <laughs> now I know someone I can pass it to. But when I'm like, with 2.5, I know what I'm doing. I can build yes, from there. Exactly. I'm like, I'll take a few and then I'll... <laughs> I'll report back here. <laughs> <laughs> so I really like these and uh, yeah, definitely check them out. And so my favorite non-cannabis related thing is I'm a total nerd. Um, so <laughs> if I, I can't oh afford to interject the, the actual sound bite. So I'm going to go dan 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 if you don't know what that is, it was a really bad adventure. But uh, the nine hundred two one zero. The reboot is everything I've ever wanted from nine hundred two one zero, and um, it's it's a mess. It's so uh, it's so entertaining. It's oh my god, I love it. It's, I've not seen it. I heard that it's like kind of meta because yes. they're playing themselves. Oh, it is so meta, and it's so good because they're making fun of themselves. They're playing like exaggerated versions. Of themselves you're kidding yeah and they're trying to reboot the show so it's a show within a show kind of a thing and it's interesting it's ever, it, oh, if you if you were a fan of the show if you hate watched it for a while and then love watched it and then hate watched it again <laughs> like i actually the totally that that was my relationship with it yeah. so uh yeah i definitely recommend it it is everything you want i mean i know so it's the perfect way to kind of like empty your brain for a minute so all right well i definitely have to, to check that <laughs> <Yeah>. out <laughs> do. so what are your favorite what's your fave pot related thing fave pot right now i'm really like 110 percent into um vaping um thc cbd ratios mm -hmm. so i had had you know like i said you know my tolerance uh, it varies or what have you. And so I was kind of, you know, uh, wary for a while because I was buying these super, super high THC um, uh, vapes. And then it was like all, you know, I was just getting super high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, which I guess, you know, in hindsight, yes, because it has, you know, 28% THC. Right. Um, but it's, you know, you don't know what the dose is, you know, how many puffs is, is what. It becomes a little bit confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm a big on CBD. And so a friend of mine was like, you got to start trying ratios. And so I got a one-to-one -one pen and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. Um, and then I got a two-to-one pen and, and then I got the four-to-one pen and then I got the eight-to-one pen. And now I'm like the mathematician I was, you know, I was meant to be because I've got <laughs> all of these things on me at any time. That's awesome. I love the <laughs> And two I'm like, one. how am I feeling? Is this a four to one? Yeah, moment? right. Exactly. <laughs> I love the two to one. I mean, that's a great ratio for me. I haven't even gone it up to eight one. It's a great level. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and I do the eight to one when I don't need, you know, I don't need a buzz, right. but I need to, you know, I'm like high anxiety and I need to be able to bring it down. Um, or, you know, also they're good for me to have because, um, CBD can, um, bring down a high if it's too, right. you know, if it's peaking up there, you can bring it down. So there's times where I'm like, you know, you're smoking in a circle and someone hands you something and I'm like, yeah. ah, I don't know what Next this is. You know, you're trying to fall, take a nap in the mall, you know, it's no one likes that person. So, so it's been like a saving grace. I'm like, it's fine. I've got my eight to one pen. I'll take a couple puffs. We're going right. to mellow out whatever's yeah. going on here or whatever. And it's given me so much control 
over my cannabis experience um, that it's been fantastic. And, you know, and I'm a big CBD fan um, to begin with and definitely big on the entourage effect. So I want to use my CBD with THC and this has been a fantastic way. I love hearing that. Yeah, that's so cool. So what's your fave non-pot? Do you have one? Oh, goodness. What is my fave non-pot thing right now? Oh, I know. <laughs> this is so sad. But um, it's school's back in session. Yay! School is back <laughs> in session. School is back in session. Yeah. And why does I care about that? Because I'm the high mommy life. Right. I've got a kid. He is in kindergarten. You know what kindergarten means? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it means that I'm, I'm even though I'm waking up early and I've got to get him off to school it means that uh I've got <laughs> oh my gosh he's gone all day and I'm not paying free school anymore right. so thank god for kindergarten uh, I'm far away I'm like shout out to, <laughs> I'm like serious I'm like shout out to all the parents who are happy that school's right. back in session yeah <laughs> I'm putting mine in daycare so I'm kind of excited about that I have to be honest <laughs> not not it, a full it, time, it, but it, yeah. But it changes the game slowly but surely. You start to edge them on um, out of the, the house. My kids started pre uh, daycare um, at thirteen. Oh weeks. wow! I was a, a working mom. Yeah, I'm not crazy, but I was I was a working mommy. I had yeah. to go back to the, to work at a shoot that was going on, and literally he's been li- with the same mm-hmm. woman who took him then. Um, Till up to now, wow. she still does like you know pickups from school and like keeps them after and is like teaching him to That's read. Awesome. She's amazing. So I've had the best experience with daycare. She is another member That's of amazing. our family. Yeah, for I sure. hope that I have that experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, this sounds so great. Um, <laughs> Well, that's great. I'm wishing that for you. I'm sending good vibes. I hope so. (laughs) So uh, today we're going to talk about a very important topic, um, supernova women. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is? Absolutely. So Supernova is the first and preeminent organization founded to support women of color in the cannabis community. We've got four years of service under our belt. Um, We were formed by women of color in 2015 with the goal of utilizing our diverse talents to empower our people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the evolving cannabis economy. So how do do we do that? Um, We uh, have a mission to foster community empowerment through holistic education, through advocacy training and skills acquisition. We try to make our, uh, our organization and our events a really safe space for hard conversations, and we amplify the messages of our constituency and, you know, local, state, and national level. How does that look on a real basis? It means that we're throwing um, panel events that help people uh, learn about specific areas of the industry. We're going to have workshops that teach you how to do things to move your business forward. Um, we're going to advocate um, you know, with the city um, when they're coming up with you know, social equity pro- programs. We're going to advocate on the national level. Some of the things that we're doing right now that got me super excited is we are launching our first mastermind group, which is awesome. It allows us to meet on a monthly basis with um, a smaller group of um, you know, business owners in this space and really allow us to pool our resources, our skill sets in order for all of our businesses to grow. Um, masterminds have become really popular. Um, we really wanted to have one that was uh, cannabis focused and could really help people, um, you know, elevate, scale their businesses. And so we're 
absolutely like ecstatic about it. And our mastermind leader is a PhD, um, you know, a professor um, at uh, California State, uh, San Francisco State University. So we're super excited to have her on board. It's going to be a really powerful event. We're also having a summit in Los Angeles next month, um, which will be October. Um, and so we're excited about that. We're going to talk about equity. Um, we're, you know, it's a social equity summit um, that we're bringing people from uh, NorCal and SoCal together to talk about equity, to talk about black and brown businesses, to talk about, uh, you know, what we can do to, to help us all succeed. So that should be a really exciting event as well. Right. That's awesome. And I have been such a huge fan for so long. Um, can we talk about some of the other conversations that, you know, Supernova Women is facilitating, like um, I see on the website, uh, an article linked by Amber Center that um, it's about acknowledging that CBD use is a privilege. It is. I mean, these are the conversations that I think we need to be having right um as a community and no one is you know taking the the time to to really to do so right um and so sometimes we do have to um bring up you know awkward conversations there's still lots of people of color who have been um you know jailed for cannabis um jailed for its use and now cbd is a darling and you can find it on the shelves of you know, almost any store out there. I mean, I went to Ross and Ross was selling CBD. Right. Are, are you kidding me right now? Yeah, is this really, right is, is this real right now? I know. Um, it like pisses so, me off. <laughs> like it, it, it drives, it's starting to like drive me crazy. The gas station yeah. has it um, mm-hmm. or what have you. Absolutely. And then there's this attitude where, well, it's if it's CBD with no THC, well, then that's okay. Let's talk about whole plant. Where right. does CBD come from? Yes. Um, you know, That's a big <laughs> not to deal. mention the entourage effect. It's a right. huge deal. Right. Um, and it's divorcing, you know, it from from the part that they try to attach to that, you know, war on drugs and, right. the, you know, disenfranchisement of communities of color. And now it's, you know, it's it's CBD and it can do no wrong. And right. so you can't divorce it from, from that. No. Um, so those are conversations that we like to have, that we like to start. We want to talk about, um, issues like that, just like we push, you know, the issue um, with organizations that don't, um, you know, uh, that build supply chains that aren't thinking of communities of color. Right. You know, we are looking at We're our bigger an equity program. Uh, and and what does that equity program look like? Right. You know, we also are seeing more than ever. There's a lot of organizations like, well, we came up with our own equity program, and your own equity program like didn't talk to anybody who would be, you know who would use that equity program. It's not useful. It doesn't give them the tools that they need. You're like, what are, it's, it's saving face. Right. Um, It's being able to. I'm sure you hear all the time (laughs) when people say what really makes me mad is, and I can kind of tell difference between who's been here for a while or who's here for the, the right reasons, quote unquote, you know, um, when Uh they say things like, uh, well, any progress is good progress or it's a good thing. These big companies are paying attention and that, and that it's going more mainstream. And it's like, no, 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 <sighs> bullshit. No. That's what they all say. That's what all the other industries say. 
Ex- that's a, exactly. And, and, and it's starting to turn, look at like all the other industries because the more money that comes in, we have to be able to hold them accountable for their, for their actions. We need to be able to hold them accountable. If you're sitting on a hundred million dollars that you raise, um, but you can't, you know, uh, do anything within your company to uh, promote social right. equity um, or diversity. And you have a board that is all male. Right. Um, and you know, you don't have any females or people of color in your C-suite, you know, these are the things that we're starting to, you know, to see in mm-hmm. this space. Um, and it's, you know, we have to continue to be loud yeah. and continue to say, yeah, you know, we demand better. We are a better industry than this. Right. Um, and you can't sit around and get away with it the same way that, you know, uh, we've been working really hard to drum out, you know, booth girls right. and things like that. It used to be a tight connection between um, brands and half naked women who are, you know, rolling joints off each other's butts, right. um, which was like <laughs> you know, a big thing. And now, um, you know, you see, anytime you see that, you'll, you'll see pushback. Um, people are starting to really, you know, um, come down against that. We need to be the same way when it comes to equity issues. Right. Um, because in a very real way, you know, communities of color did pay a, a huge price even today, you know, I'm like four to, you know, we're four times more likely to be arrested. And in some places um, in the country, up to 11 times more likely to be arrested for cannabis. Absolutely. It's, it's absurd. No one should be arrested for cannabis. Right. <laughs> and I just wrote a piece about CPS and the research that I found was that uh, black people were most likely to be reported for cannabis use white Sounds people about right. it was like mm. cocaine or meth or something but um yeah i mean it's right exactly and it, but the the ironic thing about that is that they found that the children with the the parents who had the cannabis use were like the most um uh, i guess grounded you know settled okay children you know for lack of a better word basically that they were doing okay as opposed to the other children that were being checked on you know what i mean not ironic it's not ironic obviously you know what i mean obviously but (laughs) trying to make the point otherwise it's like no if no but it's serious and it's like and the sad part is like i'm so not surprised i mean even for myself as you know an executive in this space um and you know and I've been really lucky. I mean, I've gotten good press in this space. Mm-hmm. I've been in Forbes. I've been in Inc. I've been an entrepreneur. And I still have people telling me, you shouldn't tell people that you have kids. They're going to call CPS. On. Right. I'm like, I live in the legal state of California. And this is still a real concern. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it gives a lot of fear. I know people who've worked in this industry for years and would not let anybody know that they have kids because they're so scared of what can happen um, in those situations. As long as CPS um, it's, is it's around, sad, it's pretty much, scary. you know, we're all screwed in a way i mean until this and and like it really is like you get dragged down in that you know circle uh and it's absolutely it's absolutely crazy yeah absolutely crazy. and it could just be as simple as someone who has a grudge against you you know i mean luckily california is the most progressive in the sense that they do take into consideration that you're a patient but it's still it's up to the cps at the end of the day it's up to them they have complete control absolutely complete control and, and, the, and those things become scary because then, they, you know, it's how do you judge? Uh, how do how are they going to judge those right. things? You know, THC stays in your body in different, you know, differing amounts for a longer mm-hmm. amount of time or whatever. It's, you know, all of these things become uh, very difficult to quantify and you don't know what they're looking for. 
Um, and you just don't want to be in bed with CPS no. in any way, shape, or form. So those are, you know, the, it's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, not even just writing about it, I feel like, I mean, I was like having a panic attack writing about it. I mean, you know, it's like, I can't, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So those are the things that it's really scary for, you know, um, for people in this space. And I think it even, even more, you know, so it's, it becomes a little bit yeah. scarier for the moms in the space and and for moms of color even more so because it just you know sometimes perception becomes reality and they you know and we get perceived worse for these sorts of infections and and luckily we have groups like supernova women that are challenging that and, and are changing that perception i hope you know uh that's our job. We're out here, you know, making sure that people understand that we are here. And, you know, while we love to see people become, you know, work at places and be bud tenders and everything else, what I'd rather see is that, you know, these people are owning the dispensaries, that they're really having an opportunity at some of this generational wealth that is coming from this quickly growing industry. And that's, you know, our job to make sure that they have, you know, the tools necessary to be able to be successful. Right. And so, you know, if you're a business out there, host an expungement um, series or something like that, you know. And even if you don't want to do anything that, that, you know, we love to see those things. We also love to see people who say, hey, we want to partner with you. We've had so many great organizations say, you know, we don't know what to do, but we'd like to give you guys $5,000 or $10,000 and partner with you on something. Awesome. We, cause we, we're close to the community. We know what they need because if you look at our board, we have four people on our board. We mm-hmm. all have different businesses, you know, businesses within the space or what have you were on the ground. Um, we, so we've got a clearer picture of what our community needs. Um, and we love working with, you know, other organizations that have that same, you know, I, the same ideas, um, and who want to support being able to do bigger and better programming. We operate on a shoestring budget. No one on our board is getting paid right now. We do this because we love what we do and we love the people who are in this space and we think it's yes, important. Yes, it is. It's so important. And um, I'm just like incredibly honored that you took your time to just talk today. And it, I always want you to come back. <laughs> You're, you have ongoing open invitation. Um, You're too kind. I love it. I, it's been so much fun. I appreciate you having oh, me. Thank you. So uh, where can people find your apothecary uh, products and how can people support you? Oh, that is a great question. Um, well, they can find Apothecary products by going to our website. That's www.theapothecarycase.com. And we spell apothecary, A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-R-Y. So we're carry like a carry case. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm like, that's our, you know, our little cheeky uh, space. But yes, check us out on our <laughs> website. You can follow us on Instagram at The Apothecary. We're on uh, Facebook as The Apothecary. Um, you know, we love to start conversations and, um, you know, share as much as we can. So we would love to have you as a member of our, our community. And um, for any of your listeners who are looking for a sleek and sexy storage and humidity solution for their cannabis, we invite them to come and use offer code um, green time for 10% off their order. Okay, nice. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Moon Mother Hemp Company is committed to providing the highest quality and purest CBD wellness products possible. Their full-spectrum hemp oil supplements and botanicals are made from USDA-certified organic hemp grown in Colorado. Each ingredient in their products is organic and carefully selected to support healing and well-being for the body and mind. 
They also practice sustainable and environmentally responsible farming practices and ensure product quality with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. They are offering your highest listeners a special 20% off code. Use the code GOODVIBES20. That's GOODVIBES20 for 20% off Moon Mother Hemp Company products. Our guest today is Robin Griggs-Lawrence. Robin is the author of Pot and Pans, A History of Eating Weed, which is a comprehensive history of cannabis as a unique culinary ingredient. She's also the author of Best-Selling Cannabis Kitchen Cookbook and a contributing editor for Scentsy Magazine. She authored The Wabi Sabi House and Simply Imperfect, Revisiting the Wabi Sabi House. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Time Magazine, Bloomberg, High Times, and more. So Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so, you're welcome. I'm so excited to be with you today to talk about one of my favorite subjects, cooking with cannabis. But as an added bonus, today is going to be learning some of the history, which I had no idea about behind the cooking with cannabis. But before we get into that, I want to start a little bit about your history. You're the author of three non-cannabis books, um, one about um, children and nursery, and then two about Wabi Sabi. So you could, could you talk just a little bit about those? Mm-hmm. I would love to. Um, so for many years in my career, I was the, uh, I was an advocate for natural living and green um, homes, green building. Um, and so Wabi Sabi is something that came out of that. And Wabi Sabi is basically the art, it's the Japanese art of finding beauty in things that are imperfect, impermanent, and rustic. Things are kind of still in progress is, is the way. Um, and also things that are aged. So it's really what it is, is basically an acceptance of things as they are at its core. Um, And it's really interesting because I wrote those books. I wrote my first Wabi Sabi book in 2004. I wrote the second one in 2011. And really in the last year is when Wabi Sabi has really taken hold and um, become really kind of one of the top decorating trends. You're seeing it all over the place. And I, I think that has a lot to do with politics and where we are culturally and everything right now. But it really is. It's it's a, um, a wonderful way of kind of letting go of that need for your house to be perfect and keeping up with the Joneses and all of those things that make us so neurotic and just, right. to, you know, like accept and live in your house as it is and really find the beauty in that. Um, and I think it's a message that, um, you know, it, it dates back to ancient Japan, but I think it's also a message that will continue to be more and more relevant as our culture kind of evolves here. Oh, yeah. So I encourage our listeners to go out there and check out those books. Um, I just purchased uh, both of your Wabi Sabi books, and I'm really excited to read those. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into your first cookbook, which is the Cannabis Kitchen Cookbook that you wrote in 2000 or that came out in 2015? Um, yes. So in 2009, uh, which is right when the, the Cole memo came out and uh, basically Obama administration said, we're going to let the states do what the states want to do with medical marijuana. Um, you know, that was a time when in Colorado, really a lot of minds were starting to open up to the possibilities of medical marijuana. Um, for me, I it wasn't something that was really that much in my life. I just hadn't, um, you know, I had two kids. I had a, a job, a career. I was traveling 
a lot. And I just, it wasn't something that really had ever, you know, I'd, I'd done it in college and it just wasn't something that was a big part of my life. Um, but I had some, some pretty big medical issues. Uh, I had dysmenorrhea, which is serious uh, menstrual cramps. And associated with that, I had um, PMDD, which is uh, basically just insanely severe um, uh, head stuff coming along. Um, premenstrual oh. uh, dysmorphia is basically what it is. So, um, you know, what I, what I found was that cannabis, um, at the recommendation, actually, of my gynecologist, cannabis was one of the few things basically the only thing that could relieve that for me. So I started to, um, I got my, I got my card and, um, I went to my neighborhood dispensary. Actually I didn't because at that time there was still a lot of stigma around it. So I went to a dispensary in the next town over so that I wouldn't run into any of the fellow volleyball moms or anything. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so was, there was one like right next to my grocery store, but I couldn't go there. So I went, you know, and, and, and I, all of a sudden it was like a huge revolution revelation for me that cannabis was food. I had just, I only thought it was something you smoked really. And so realizing, you know, when I was talking with the bud tender and he was bringing down, you know, he's bringing down these jars that was back in the day when he had these lovely jars of, of cannabis lining the the shelves and he, he was bringing them down and they had names like chocolate and blueberry. And I was like, Oh my God, this is food. And, you know, I wanted to cook with it. And I, so I went home and I started to do some online research and it was 2009 and there just wasn't a lot of solid information on there. And it was really, it was all over the place. It was, some of it was kind of scary. Um, there were, you know, basically I was kind of having to dig into the, the, the cannabis forums at the time where, which, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but it was just kind of a lot of dudes and right. was really talking like, you know, the, the ins and outs and the kind of finer points of the art of cooking with cannabis. So I realized being the journalist that I am, that if I wanted to really learn how to do this, I was going to have to write the book myself. And so that's when I just started, you know, um, I've, I've been a journalist my whole life. I knew what to do. And I was like, okay, girl, write the book. So I, you know, started to call basic, basically just kind of reached out to cannabis chefs across the, the country who had already gotten into that space. And, you know, at that time, finding them was hard because there weren't a lot of them. Um, so it was really, these were the intrepid pioneers who had gotten out there ahead of the curve, you know, before 2009 to um, start to teach people how to cook with cannabis and to talk about it. And so they were the ones who came into the fold. And I was like, hey, I, I want to write this book. What do you guys think? And they were like, oh, my God, you really need to. Yes, I would love to help. So I found 12 chefs and one bartender all, inter you know, who had been working with uh, cannabis cooking and who taught me how to do it. And, you know, by, you know, by default then taught, you know, everybody else through my book and all of them did it, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, because they basically almost every single one of them either had cured themselves or had cured someone else or healed, helped to heal someone else yeah. using cannabis food. And they wanted to share that knowledge. And to me, um, that's why probably that's going to be the most satisfying book I've ever written because of that collaboration. I just think um, it's amazing that we're all able to, to get that word out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice cookbook. I encourage our listeners to go out and purchase the Cannabis Kitchen Cookbook is what it's called. Um, I, I have a copy and I love it. And so I'm, I'm, I haven't tried any of the recipes yet, but I'm excited. But I, I really loved how everybody came together as a community on that. So your latest book is Pot in Pans, A History of Eating Cannabis, which is a very rich history review of cannabis that I found fascinating. The foreword is written by Chris Killam, the medicine hunter, who is probably 
one of the most knowledgeable plant people I can think of. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the book and, and what, what was your drive to write about the history? So this one, um, you know, it's, it's when the, after the cookbook came out um, and I was kind of like, okay, you know, always, you know, writing for the next project. And this one actually came to me, which was pretty fascinating to me. And, and I think says a lot about, you know, where we are as an industry, because this is a very, um, you know, uh, respected academic publisher, Roman and Littlefield, who uh, put out the word and came to me and said, uh, you know, we think it's important. We have this, they have a series, it's the food and gastronomy Studies series. And they said, you know, we think it's time. And it's important now we need to put out the history of cannabis food, you know, can you do it? And I was like, Oh, my God, yes, you know, and I just but and, and, you know, it, I was I immediately knew I wanted to do this project and I immediately was like, oh, my God, what have I done? Because it's it's um, the history of cannabis food has been buried. You know, it's been buried in all of the lies that got put on top of it during propaganda. So finding right. the research and digging out what really happened um, was probably one of the most challenging projects I've ever taken on. But it was also that's also, of course, what made it so much more satisfying when I could really dig out the real truth and start to reveal that. Well, and I was surprised to learn that, you know, you, you cover everything. I mean, you go back to the beginning of time when cannabis was being used and uh, there were Neolithic, um, you know, reliefs on cave walls or paintings on cave walls of the cannabis plant. I mean, you did so much history and I love that you went, you really just go through like here it is at the beginning and you go to different countries and you talk about how they're using it. Can you touch on that a little bit? Well, I think, you know, I, I think that's really a fascinating uh, thing, you know, going back into the history. And I think, you know, one of my favorite things I think that I found was, you know, that <clears throat> when when the cave people were uh, experimenting with different things that they could eat and they were just, you know, eating the tops off of different plants and everything. And, and one of my, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> one ethnobotanist believes that, that, that basically they ate the tops of the cannabis plants and that's what led them to create religion to invent religion, right? So I, I love that thought. But, you know, I think it, it it's really interesting that different cultures are almost defined by and, you know, kind of um, it's it's part of a, almost a tribal thing uh, by their by the their choice of intoxicant. Right. So you had the, you know, the Islamic cultures, which much more, you know, because they had banned alcohol, um, they were more embracing of it, right? And it became much more a, a deeper part of the culture. Then you had, you know, um, back in the 14th century, 13th century, 12th century, the popes were all, um, uh, you know, uh, banning cannabis, and they went to alcohol. So it was it really became almost a cultural like definer, um, as a, you know, as, as you know, religious thing that people, you know, but choosing their intoxicants. So I think that had a lot, you know, it's interesting, um, a lot of Chinese culture, uh, they did not embrace at all the intoxicating aspects really? of cannabis. Completely not at all. I mean, it was, it was, they really, they, they, they didn't see it as, um, they saw it as kind of a bad side effect, right? And something to, to kind of work around. Um, they were, they completely believed in it. It was in all of the early pharmacopoeias, you know, right? So it was, it was definitely something that they used medicinally, but it was not an intoxicant that they liked. Um, India, completely different story. Right. I mean, it was completely embraced. It still is. You know, in, in the 1960s, when the U.N. convention, when the U.S. basically was saying every country must, uh, you know, make 
cannabis uh, illegal, um, India got around that with with a, a drink that they use called bong, and they just basically never outlawed that, and they continue to use it for holy ceremonies. So it's just it's it's very much a, a country by country thing, though, which I think is really fascinating. Um, and it generally is that it's alcohol or cannabis, but um, not both. Oh, that is really interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, it's just learning all the different things about it through your book was really fascinating. And in fact, you just mentioned bong, Mm -hmm. B-H-A-N-G, and I call it bang because of bang chocolates. But I had no idea that's where they got their name, just as a funny little side note. I know that is funny. I know they need to do a little, you know, like bang kind of campaign or something to let people know that. (laughs) But but you say that in India, it's a drink, but then is it also a food to well, it is, it's, an, it's also a name for a prepared cannabis. So it's a, you know, a, a, a way of preparing cannabis so that the, the raw material itself is called bong. And then when it's made into a drink, the drink is actually called bong kai tandai. And oh. I have a recipe for it in the Cannabis Kitchen Cookbook. But um, yes, so it gets shortened to bong. And there are, you can find all over India or, you know, especially in certain parts where it's, you know, kind of more accepted, um, little bong stands where you can, you can actually purchase it. And it's always, um, so, you know, it's always served at Holi, which is the great big, uh, you know, festival and many of the religious festivals it's included as well. So it's just, you know, it's, it's just a part of the culture. It's, it's, you know, as, as it's like, we would have wine for our things, you know, they have bong. Right. Yeah, it's I really hope that we get to a point where we can incorporate cannabis like that also where we have stands where you can get a drink and, you know, it's it's in that same kind of vein. So let's talk a little bit about because you talk about Alice B. Toklas and we know Mm -hmm. she's very famous in the cannabis world, but a lot of people don't know the true history of that, which you cover in your book and and a little bit how this, you know, um, morphed into the pot brownie phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I love this story. And I love how it just, this, the whole thing kind of unfolded. So um, <clears throat> back in the 50s, Alice B. Toklas, who was Gertrude Stein's lover, and, um, you know, they were they were the ones who pretty much ran the salons back in the, you know, 20s and 30s in Paris with all the expats and Hemingway and all those guys, right? So Fitzgerald, all of them. So um, after uh, Gertrude died, Alice B. Toklas was, um, she was kind of broke and she needed money. And so she wrote this cookbook and um, she got a, you know, really good contract with Harper's and she was going to write this cookbook and she kind of ran out of time and she was hitting her deadline. And so she just put out a call to all of her friends and she had kind of expat artist friends all over the world. And so one of her friends in Morocco sent her a, he had been living in Morocco and he had discovered uh, Majun, which is a ancient confection that Morocco, that, you know, in the Middle East they had used and it's basically made with cannabis. It's a cannabis uh, kind of candy. It's made with nuts and dates and um, cannabis and a bunch of spices. So he sent her that recipe. And she didn't even read it. She didn't even look at it. She just slapped it in there. It went off. Um, the cookbook got, you know, uh, published. And all of a sudden, uh-oh, there's this, uh, you know, hashy <laughs> is what it's called, right? And um, so, it, you know, kind of people start to pick up on it. And it starts, you know, gets this kind of little underground movement. And, um, you know, she gets a little bit of, you know, and the, the guy who sent it to her said he did it because he knew she needed money. And he knew it would, like, make her book sell more. Who knows if that's true or not. He was kind of, <laughs> you know, careful 
character in his own right. But so basically it gets out and, um, you know, so it, the, the, so it's kind of this underground thing and, and people start talking about the Alice B. Toklas thing or whatever. And then this movie gets made in 1968 and it's Peter Sellers and it's called, I love you, Alice B. Toklas. And it's a movie about, um, a, this hippie woman who makes some pot brownies for, it, it changes this, this guy's life. He's, he's kind of like a, a bored suburban guy. He's an attorney. He's unhappy. She makes his pot brownies. He has an eye-opening experience. He becomes a hippie. He goes and lives in the van. Whole thing, right? So <laughs> that is the moment in this movie where the majoon, this ancient Islamic confection, morphs into the pot brownie because he, he's like, oh my God, what happened? I took those brownies. What did you do? And he says, oh, she says, oh, those are groovy brownies. I, you know, those are from Alice B. Toklas. She wrote a groovy cookbook or something, you know, something like that. Um, so at that moment, the majoon, the hashish fudge became the brownie, the brownie. And that was it from that moment on. Wow. It was the brownie, right. So it's like that moment that, and, and all of a sudden, and you know, she didn't make them right either. I mean, that's, what's so funny. She took a bunch of weed and she threw it in. Like you can, there's this pivotal scene where she's, you know, got the hand mixer and she just throws the brownie <laughs> right into the mix. She doesn't mix it with an oil or butter or anything. So it likely they would not have gotten everybody as, crazy stoned as they did but you know it's a movie and anyway right. so yeah, exactly. that's the story and so from then on it was alice b tokeless brownies even though her cookbook never had a, a recipe for them well and you have the the kind of like um original recipe i guess for Majuna uh -huh. in yes in this, you have lots of different recipes. I mean, yeah. not lots. Of, you have a few different recipes at the end of this book that mm -hmm. are from different areas. There aren't any um, amounts, though. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you included the recipes and then kind of your and thinking you know, behind that? Sure. Yeah. And, and I did, you know, a lot of, so digging these up, um, this is how they were, right? I mean, this is, and you know, when you think about it, they didn't have quarter cups. They didn't have teaspoons. They had, you know, their handful, they had their, you know, a, a pinch, whatever. They, they just, you know, there, there weren't the universal, they didn't write recipes the way we do now. And so, you know, I thought about switching them, but I thought, no, that takes away, you know, I think from, from the really the instinctual part of the way people used to cook with this. And I think, you know, that's, that's how it was. So a lot of them, I just left them as they were and, and kind of, you know, they either gave uh, kind of ratios sometimes or kind of, you know, do you like this? Do you not? People, people, were, I guess we're allowed a little bit more leeway and intuition and freedom in cooking than, than, you know, the rigidness that we have now. Right. I feel like it. it's really kind of when I was reading it at first, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's no measurements. And then I'm like, Leah, use your intuition. Like women, <laughs> women who are still using these recipes in, in villages or wherever they are, um, don't have measuring cups. And so, yes. you know, I, I think it's a really beautiful thing because maybe you don't like a nutmeg. Maybe you're going to right. substitute something else. You could really make these your own. And I really appreciated that. So while we're talking about cooking and cannabis, what are your favorite aspects of writing about cooking and cannabis? I think the fact that it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's so ancient and yet so cutting edge, you know, we're at this, I mean, it's, I can reach back to, you know, the beginning of time with what people have been doing and discovering about this ingredient. Um, but, you know, then there was such a long time. Well, you know, it, it was a blip in the, I guess, in the long history, but in our you know, perspective, a long time of no information and no experiences and, you know, no, uh, you know, so, so all of a sudden we've got this like 
I feel like some of the most incredible minds in the world are being put to this right now. You know, I go right. and visit, um, you know, places in Colorado, in, in Denver, where, you know, they're, they're, they're pharmacists and scientists and people who are coming from, you know, major industry and they're, they're making this turn and putting their brain power to cannabis. And that to me is unbelievable. So I just, you know, like in the time that I've been covering this, we've gone from, um, you know, we, we've discovered, we've, we now have water soluble cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't you know? that crazy? I mean, that's, that changed the whole game. Right. right? I mean, it's amazing. So I think that to me is just spectacular. I, I just will never, there will never not be enough to cover. Like, right. We're just going right. to right. keep unfolding. Well, your book does a really good job of covering so much of the history. I mean, and I love the way you wrote the book too, because when I'm reading it, I feel like we're in the room and you're talking to me and you're sharing something. You, you're really oh, nice. prolific writer. Um, so what I, we're getting short on time, but I really want to cover this last little topic about what it means to be included in the Roman and Littlefield's study in food and gastronomy series. So just to let our listeners know a little bit about um, this studies, you know, studies isn't always just about cooking and eating habits, but it's also about health, sustainability, food safety, animal rights. And so you're included in this studies in food and gastronomy. I can't say this word right. But, anyway, uh, but there's only four books. And so your cannabis book is one of those four books. What does that mean to be included in this? I mean, to me, it just says, it, to me, it says everything um, that this has, cannabis has finally come into its own as a respected culinary ingredient and not, you know, I mean, I, I love that they took this seriously. They didn't, there's not a big pot leaf on the cover. Right? right. I mean, we were really careful to, um, you know, those are those are flowers on the cover. Like there's it's showing what buds look like. It's not the stereotypical, you know, fluorescent green kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, this was like this was this this to me is is cannabis's entrance into academia. Right. This is take this seriously. This is not something that we're giggling about anymore. And, you know, that that is that's a big deal. Yeah, it's like cannabis grew up, you know, almost exactly. like we went exactly. from this giggly Alice B. Tokos kind of pot brownie, and now we're an adult and, and this is what it brings. Well, that's beautiful. Well, as, before we close, I'd love to hear from you. How can listeners support you? And do you have a specific call to action? You know, I mean, I think that I, I, this is going to, I've been trying to, thinking about this. I don't want to sound self-serving, but I really, really do hope that everybody will read this book, Pot and Pans, um, and share, if they share one thing with someone who is a skeptic or just doesn't know or just hasn't heard, you know, the most important thing, you know, I, I feel like we all are put here for whatever purpose, right? My purpose is education. That's what I've, you know, I'm a writer. That's what I've been here for. That's, you know, that's, that's what I do. But if no one reads it and shares it, then it's all going into a void, right? It's, I, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to. I just amused myself and I'm not here to amuse myself. Like, <laughs> Right? So, I mean, I, I definitely do like amusing myself, but there's more to it. And um, I really think, I mean, if you can read this, if you can, 
you know, have one really good thing that you remember about it that you think is, is you know, could change someone's mind. Um, you know, it's, it's one mind at a time, but we are going, you know, my goal is by the end of my lifetime, um, this is everybody is going to be able to enjoy cannabis the way I can because I have the opportunity to be in legal states. You know, one of the coolest things to me is um, my kids uh, who are 21 and 24 um, never had to break the law in order right. to enjoy cannabis, right? And I want that for everybody. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Robin, for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. And I know our listeners really enjoyed hearing all about this. And so I encourage everybody to go out and buy the book, Pot and Pants. And please do put a review on Amazon. Um, those reviews carry so much weight. And so, so thank you again, Robin. Looking forward to seeing you in person soon. Me too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Your Highness Podcast. If you would like to be featured in a future episode or would like to inquire about possible sponsorship, email yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com. That's yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at highnesspodcast. That's at highnesspodcast. Thanks again.